of the Holy Spirit, I can be a good tree. It's a choice. That illustration is used more than once in the New Testament. When Jesus talked about entering through the small gate and walking the narrow path, he talked about good trees and bad trees. Even though you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can be a bad tree. Depending upon the fruit that you're bearing, the words that you are speaking. James 3, verses 8 through 10, it says, But no one can tame the tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men. And I'll put an exception in there. You can't control your tongue by yourself. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can speak blessings, not only to, to the Lord, but to other people. If I'm saying something about a person that I wouldn't say to him face to face, what am I saying or doing? What I'm saying or doing is probably wrong. When do we complain? When we are offended? When we disagree? When we are jealous? You name it. If I'm talking to someone about another person, what is that accomplishing? What really is my motive? Have you ever suddenly come upon two people talking and they have this embarrassed look on their face? Their body language tells you that the discussion was not positive. How do I know? Because I've been guilty of it. Is Jesus pleased? Will my discussion or criticism of something be something that I will render an account for at the judgment seat? Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things, not some things, do all things with, without grumbling or disputing. What a high standard. You know, as I prepared for this, I just saw how short I fall. That's a good thing. The word will show us how much we fall short of the standard that God has for us. There are obstacles to character building. And I'm going to share with you some of the obstacles in my life. One is my emotions. I get in trouble when my mind is empty. That could be when I'm tired. Could be because I'm not reading the word. I could have resentment, discouragement, anger, self-pity. My mind is empty. I'm not thinking. Psalm 19:14 says, "Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight." When I first came to know the Lord, I was going through a very difficult time in my life. I shared this before, is my marriage. And um, I felt all alone. That was a good thing. Because in retrospect, I see that it was the Lord. I had people all around me. But I felt all alone. And I think the point was that, first of all, the Lord wanted me to come to him. And two, that he was the only answer that I had for my dilemma. But in order to combat fear and loneliness, rejection, emotional pain, I literally meditated on the word day and night. 
a neighbor of mine who is my age led me to the Lord, and he had come to the Lord six months before I did. And he gave me the scripture uh, from the Word of Faith. The Word of Faith was a relatively new sort of Chris, Christian movement back then, and they had like 35 scriptures that pertain to the, the situations in my life. And I literally memorized those scriptures. I knew that I had to rely on the Word of God if my marriage was going to be saved and I was going to make it. Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor sit in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted uh, by the waters, by the streams, and his leaf will not wither. And whatever he does, he shall prosper. Let me ask you this. How often do you meditate on the word? Do you read the word on a regular basis? Not only do you, do you read it, do you, do you really meditate on it? I get in trouble when I'm not meditating on the Word of God. But there's so much promise if we do. My emotions can get in the way of Jesus building his character in me. I believe my biggest problem and most people's problem as an obstacle to the character of Jesus Christ being seen in me is pride. It undermines my walk with the Lord. Just recently, an individual who was 56 years old came to my office, and I've known him for a number of years. He's a professional. His wife is a professional. So they both have jobs. But he was talking to me about that they're initiating divorce. And so I was listening to him. He was talking about how his wife was, was putting more and more and more stuff on him. He was taking care of the kids. He was doing all the grocery shopping. He was uh, reconciling her checkbook. Uh, they had horses. He was taking care of the horses. And, he's, and, he, and he just did more and more things for her. And when... when, when he didn't meet her expectations. She became more angry and more threatening. She would be what I call the power player, and he was the enabler. He was doing things to please her, hoping that that would make a change in her. And one day, she had threatened him too much. She had done this before when he got home late 20 minutes, he was doing something legitimate. She said, I've had enough. I'm going to divorce you. And he called her bluff. And then she says, I wasn't serious. But you still have this problem. But he's carrying through with a divorce. And I was, I was listening to him talk And I said, you know, it looks to me that there's a great deal of pride here. Pride destroys. 
And I was reading something from Oswald Chambers where it says that <clears throat> when you don't love God or you have somebody in your life that you love more than God, you expect perfection from that person, you expect righteousness from that person, and there's no one in the world that can do that. And when that person doesn't meet that perfection or that righteousness, you become more cruel and more vindictive. She's the power player. He was the enabler. How do you think I can recognize that? Because I was the power player once in my life. I've seen it more than once. Neither spouse would fully admit their fault because of pride. You can't point your finger at somebody else. You have to take personal responsibility and then trust in God that he will do something. But in this case, God was not their first love. A lot of times when we think that we are victims of injustice or have been hurt, it's simply this. I didn't get my way. I didn't get to keep or get what I wanted. One of the biggest things that is occurring right now in the world and in the church is offense. It is the bait of Satan. Joyce Meyer just talked about it this week as Jesus and I were working out on the treadmill. Offense is going to come. And like Joyce Meyer says, if it does come, you nip it in the bud immediately because if you meditate on it, meditate on it, it'll ruin your life. Matthew 10, verses 12 Jesus actually talked about this in Matthew 24, 10. It says, And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. <clears throat> and then it says in verse 12, And because lawlessness, which is sin, will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. This has nothing to do with the world. This has to do with the church. And I agree with Joyce Meyer. She says 95% of the time when you're offended, it's not because the person who you think perpetrated it, intended it. It's your perception. When you think of the definition of love in chapter 13, it talks about believing the best in people. That's actually to keep myself out of trouble and to stay away from offense. Offense is a waste of time. The only person who gets hurt on that is the person who's offended. It takes a lot of energy. In me, my blood pressure goes up, and it wastes my time. I don't have that much time. Life goes by pretty fast as it is. And it's not that you're not going to have those temptations. The question is, is what are you going to do with it? As believers... The word is very clear about what we have to do in those situations. 
forgive. We need to have a Christ-like response to offenses or what we perceive as offenses. When Jesus talks about that the hearts of many will grow cold, have you ever been offended? How do you act towards the person who offended you? Warmly? Cold. It hurts you. The love of God is not being manifested in that situation. An offense takes you out of the will of God. Do you want to be out of the will of God? I don't. He's opposed to the proud. Think about that. When I am proud, he's opposed to me. But when I'm humble, he's attracted towards me. I'm thinking of that, that man that came into my office and talked about what was going on, and, and he agreed it was pride. And I was thinking, and I, I had another opportunity to talk to him about the Lord uh, in another discussion. Um, because actually he'd want that marriage to work. When he got, went into the marriage, he never thought that someday after 30 years of marriage that he would get a divorce. That was the last thing in his mind. But as Christians, if we would only truly believe, and I said this before, that God orchestrates the circumstances of our life, if we would just believe that and make the right choice in the circumstance that he is in control, that he's trying to build character into our lives through the difficulties of life, through the trials of life, through the conflicts in life, we'd all do much better. God's attracted to humility. He loves humility because it was in his son. The other problem that I've had in my life is allowing people to define me. I have been judged. I've been judged as not having compassion. Think about that. When somebody says that you do not have a certain virtue, what definition are they using? And that can, can that really be said about everybody? I suppose they probably could about Hitler. I'm not sure. But to a certain degree, we all have, if you're a believer, have some of the virtues of Jesus Christ. My wife has compassion for me. If she sees any self-pity in me, if she sees any irresponsibility in me, she's going to let me know. That's compassion. I have a couple friends in my life who will also tell me the truth. That's compassion. Parents try to conform their children to their own image. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. I understand the spiritual context of that, but I think it has a other deeper meaning. You see, when children are born, they have strengths and they have weaknesses. And in our culture, what we try and do is remediate the weaknesses and overlook the strengths. 
And our educational system does a great job of that. I've seen people who struggle in school, but when they get out, they flourish because they found their niche in life. They're using the gifts that God has given them. I have four children, and I can tell you that discipline for one child doesn't work on the other. They're all different. God has made us differently. The one who should define us is Jesus Christ. And ultimately, what we ought to be doing is knowing him more and more and more and more. And exhibiting his characteristics. So how does God build character in me? One, through tribulations. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, Exalt in the hope of the glory of God, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character. I was listening to Christian Family Radio, and I didn't catch all of it, but... It, the, the, the speaker was a woman, and what I caught was this, is that she, she, her dream was that she would get married, have five kids, and a white picket fence. And after she had her first baby, I, I don't know if her husband had an affair or whatever, but it ended up where they had split custody. And she said this. She says, I've learned that in my pain, in my, and in my trials, that's where I have come to know Jesus Christ. It's the way it is. In Matthew 5, verses 25 to 26, it says, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly, when Jesus says truly, pay attention. He says, truly, I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. One of the major points is, is do it quickly. Is it really obedience if you keep on procrastinating, rationalizing, and so forth? Obedience really is when you do it quickly. In the small details of life as well as the big details. Last weekend, I was with my family and seven out of my ten grandkids. And there's a lot of activity. And we were around, a, we were at a, a, a lake and we were around a, the pit, the fire pit. And, and one of the, my five-year-old grandkids was asking for one of these rings that light up. It's just I don't know, they radiate, got uranium in it or something, I'm not sure. But I had an extra one, and he was, he was looking for one. And I kept on shouting his name, not very loudly. Not, finally, I said his whole name. <laughs> and, and he came over, and I gave it to him, and I thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And I, I, I went and talked to the mom, and she says, that's no big deal. I don't know what you're talking about. The point is this. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will convict me 
And it isn't so much that the person was offended or heard anything the way I may have said it or thought I said it. That's not the point. The Holy Spirit is saying, I have a standard for you and you need to follow it. This is my character. This is how I treat people. If I don't do that, I lose sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And I think a problem in the church today is we have lost sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. It requires quick obedience in the hard things of life. Reconciliation, whatever it might be. Things where pride is an obstacle. How good are we really at taking advice? Friend and I were, well, just, we were talking and, and um, somebody else came in and was asking for advice. And it's like we were saying it and it's just like went right over the person's head. Isn't that true of Jesus? Jesus gives us advice every day. Through conviction of the Holy Spirit, through his word, through somebody talking to us through him. And how often do we really follow his advice? When I ignore his conviction, his commandments, it just delays his characteristics coming into my life. And the point of this scripture is this. If I ignore the conviction, I will pay for it through distress, agony, loss of sleep, and worry. You can add to that list. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus, if you are in his family, he's determined to make you and me like him. And there is no corner of hell in heaven. Aren't you glad that he is that serious about making us like him? Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. This is discipline. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. And when he talks about being mature, you are and I am displaying the characteristics of Jesus Christ. And it comes through discipline. God disciplines those whom he loves. You feel loved today? Your trial, I don't know what you're going through today, your trial is your training 
for God building his, his characteristics in you. And so often we get so overwhelmed by our trials. But think about God really loves you. He does. God really wants you. There have been seasons in my life where God has built character in me, and in, uh, which is today. But there's been some major times. I used to be a school psychologist, and when I was a school psychologist, I really loved doing what I was doing. I would work with students. I would work with parents, teachers, administrators. And they paid me for doing that. And when I became an insurance agent, which I said, that's the last thing I ever want to do. I had no respect for insurance salespeople. <laughs> I was tempted right away to, to speak half-truths. Half-truths are you give them the truth, but you're withholding information. And I was tempted to do that. And right away, God put his finger on that and says, you're not trusting in me. You're trying to devise this thing by yourself. And I knew that if I didn't get my act together, I was going to fail. I needed to trust in the Lord. Because he's after men and women of integrity. Uh, you can talk to some employers today, and it's not always that they're always so much looking for the skill that you have. I think more and more they're going to be looking for men and women of integrity who have good worth work ethics, who persevere, who display the characteristics of Jesus Christ. They may not put their finger on it and say that's what it is. But I believe that's what they're looking for. They're looking for attitude. I've shared this too. My wife had brain surgery for a brain tumor and an aneurysm. And our first five years of marriage was just horrible. I mean, we, bought, we brought stuff into that marriage. It, 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 just, it just happened. And <clears throat> I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 27 years old. I got married when I was 21. And um, when she had her surgery, God used that to clean up our act. Because there's stuff that we were dwelling on that we shouldn't be dwelling on. And one of the things that he had us do is this. I'd be driving in the car, you know, thinking thoughts, and she'd say, Steve, what are you thinking? We gave ourselves permission to ask each other that question. It's a hard question because you're thinking the wrong thoughts. You had to talk about it. That's a bad thing especially if you're dwelling on some past hurt or whatever. I mean, who knows? But So what that did for Jerry and I is it made us more transparent and more real. And it also disciplined us to think the right thoughts. God wants us in the present, not the past. The present. And he wants us to have disciplined minds. Remember before one of my problems is that sometimes I'm empty-headed? Side note here, when I was going to college, I talked about... You should have an open mind as your philosophy. And afterwards, I thought, yeah, that's the same thing as being empty-headed. We have to have the word of God in our hearts and our mind. I think the, the, the biggest characteristic that, that is needed in the church is love. And if you want to know the definition of love, look at 1 Corinthians Chapter 13. I was doing it again this morning. Love is patient, love is kind. It's not jealous, it's not arrogant, doesn't brag, doesn't act unbecomingly, doesn't seek its own, is not provoked, 
that does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, believes all things. That means, do you believe the best in people? Bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You're with me, aren't you? You're falling short. The mark of the disciple of Jesus Christ is love. This is the Message Bible, chapter 4, 1 John. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. And I think what that's mean, it's not that you're not born again. It's not that you don't have a relationship with him. But if we're not loving as God wants us to love one another, that hurts our revelation of his love. There is a deep love that he wants us to understand and to receive. And the test is always in the conflict. You don't become Christ-like because everything is hunky-dory. It's in the trials of life. It's in the conflicts of life. It's when you're opposed, when there's disagreement. That's where God is saying, let me see what you have. Do you really want to know me more? It's in the trials of life. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that, love, that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God ever, but if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us, and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love, there's peace. I've had a conflict with somebody for a long time. We just don't agree on things. And I've learned an awful lot through that experience. It's years. And just recently there was a, a conflict. And I knew it was going to not be good. You, there's, there's in the atmosphere this tension and whatever. And this person's on one spectrum, I'm on the other spectrum. What really amazed me is when we were talking is I had a tremendous love come into me for him. I almost felt like saying, the heck with it. I'm going to go give you a hug. And I looked back at that. That was the love of God. And I believe it was theirs because my heart's desire is to love people and to receive Jesus' love. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has run, the run of the house, becomes a home and mature in us. And it comes through conflict. It comes through the hard things of life. The relationships comes home in us. It matures in us. so that we're free of worry on Judgment Day. 
Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. You know, a lot of times when fear comes in my life, it's because I'm trying to preserve myself. I'm trying to defend myself. I'm trying to get my way. There's obviously pride there. But you know, when I just surrender and say, you know what, you're in control. God, just fill me with your love for this person or this situation. It is what it is. Isn't that profound? It is what it is. We, though, are going to love, love and be loved. First we were loved, now we loved. He loved us first. Are we determined to have Christ's love in us? Are, are we really determined to have his love in us? Do you really want that characteristic in you? It'll cost you. It'll cost you your pride. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom is no longer alive, but during World War II, she was in a concentration camp. Her sister and her were in a concentration camp. And um, I, I read this, and I actually had a number of years ago this in my sermon about she grew up to be an older lady, but her sister died, and her, I think her parents died in a concentration camp too. But she, she was speaking on forgiveness. And um, when she was all done, this older man came up to her, and he said, Fräulein, I really liked your message on forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And he was a Nazi soldier in the concentration camp that she recognized. And he was responsible because he was part of that, the death of her, her family. And she said, you know what, I was standing there and I had nothing in me personally where I could forgive him. But I, but I knew that, especially after you know, talking about forgiveness, and knowing that God wanted me to forgive him, I extended my hand out to his hand to touch and grasp his hand. And when I did that, she said the power of, the, of, of God, the love of God flowed through me to that person. Sometimes to love people, you have to step out in faith. You have to trust God. God, this is what you want me to do. I'm going to, although I have no feelings for this person at all, nothing good anyway, I'm going to extend my hand and reach out to that person. You know, sometimes when I'm in conflict with people, it's really interesting. I, I never was able to figure that out until I was looking at this. Why sometimes I'll go out of my way to, to really love on them. I thought, why am I doing this? Is that guilt? or what, what, what is that? No, it's not. It's the Holy Spirit saying, you need to do this. You need to show love to the people who oppose you, who disagree with you. The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to do both. My friend Doug had a dream that has a powerful impact on me. It wasn't 
necessarily meant for me. It was meant for somebody else. And I'm just going to take parts of how I heard Doug say this. But there was somebody that we knew that was at a table, and there were other things going on in the spiritual realm, but he was looking at pictures of people that he knew. And he would look at this picture and he'd say, this person really loved me. And then he'd take a pic- look at another picture. Well, this person was kind of lukewarm towards me. And then he'd take a look at another picture of somebody that he knew. He said, this, this person, no, he, he, he didn't love me. And Doug, in this dream, was talking to him. But it was like it was going over his head because he was talking at the same time. And this is the message. It isn't how well people have loved you. It's how well you've loved them. You see, there is a judgment seat. Some people say it's the seat of mourning. Because now that you've heard the truth, there's kind of a stricter judgment on you and me. It's a let not, let not most of you be teachers because there's a stricter judgment on teachers. But now that you've heard the truth, the Lord's going to ask you about this sermon today. And, it, and at the judgment seat, if you're doing that, if I'm doing that, well, this person didn't love me that much. This person really offended me. Jesus is going to say, it is not even your enemy. It is not how well they loved you. It's how well you love them. And that's the difference between the church and the world. Pride is an obstacle in my life. Emotions can be an obstacle in my life. I need Jesus to define who I am. I need to be a person of integrity. And I need to have Christ's love in my life. The church has to be different from the world. You know the word says that, you, that we'll be known as his disciples by the love that we have for one another. And one of the biggest problems we have is offense. We've got to respond like Christ would respond in those situations. When he was on the cross, he said, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. The whole point of what he said is, I love them in spite of what they've done to me. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can have that Christ-like characteristic, his characteristics in our life. We've got to be different than the world. So whatever trial you're going through, God loves you. He loves you immensely. He wants you. Oh, if I could only get it in my head how much he wants me, how much he desires you and me, the God of the universe. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that this body of believers would be one that says, oh, this body, this body, this part of the body is really showing forth my characteristics. God, I pray we be people of integrity, quick to forgive, Those who will love as you have loved, Almighty God. Father, I pray in the areas that we need love, in those relationships where we need your love, God, help us 
Lord, as we extend our hand, Lord, fill us with your love. As we walk in faith, Almighty God, fill us with your love. Father, in our marriages, in our families, on our jobs, Lord, let your love be seen by a world that is desperate for true love. And you are true love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good day.